You're listening to the Theo Bros Podcast. The man, the myth, the legend, Fred Butler is with me on this humble little podcast, the Theo Bros Podcast. Fred, you're wearing your fedora, so it's Uh, official. Yes, it is. You look (laughs) just dapper tonight i might add um with that door you're bringing it back um (laughs) you know i had my doubts i've had my doubts i give (laughs) people a lot of guff for fedoras or bow ties i'm an oldish person yes (laughs) i'm not totally old yet you're not totally old that's right um there you know you mentioned on twitter today that you're balding Um, yes i posted a picture of you that you had quite a bit of hair in it i know but you didn't see the back side of it does it sort of look like a monk <laughs> with a big round bald spot in the back and and so the story with that actually is probably shortly after that um picture was taken or at least around in that same uh, time frame my wife would used to cut my hair i had a volunteer that did it for years but uh, he couldn't do it anymore because he's getting older and he had to take his wife to dialysis or something on our Tuesday afternoons that he'd cut my hair. So my wife picked up that mantle, started doing it for me. And then one afternoon she's cutting it and it's like, oh, yeah, okay. So, and she, I'm like, well, what's, what's going on? Well, I might've gone a little too short. So yeah. let me see if I can fix it. <laughs> so basically it was a crew cut, but this like tin tin kind of curly thing right here in the front. I mean, it was weird looking. And um, I just could not, you know, I was like, oh, I have to cut it up all the way. So I liked it being short. It was, uh, it's easier to take care of. And so basically I have this old man crew cut now. <laughs> so, and I don't look as bald, yeah. you know, from the back. So, well, yeah, I've been told that once you get older, you might be balding. Um, yes. And so I'm yes. not looking forward to that time. Uh, Fred, you are a graduate of the Master's Seminary. Yes. Um, you work at Grace to You, the radio ministry of John MacArthur, where he coordinates and directs the volunteer ministries. Yes. Uh, you and your wife have five kids and are members of Grace Community Church. That's right. Um, Fred has a blog at hipandthigh.wordpress.com. Uh, I haven't written there in, in like over a year, but I've yes, noticed. it's there. I've noticed. Yes, yes, you haven't written there. You need to write some more. Um, you do have some terrific apologetic articles up. You actually dealt with transgenderism on there. A long time ago. Yes. Before um, it was even a thing, really. You wrote an, I believe you wrote an open letter, didn't you? Um, to yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't some kind of, uh, I'm trying to remember. That's been a while. It, it was it some was, kid or something that was angry at the church. Wasn't that it? Yes. And, and he was explaining, why can't you accept us or something like that? And, yeah, it was it was actually very pastoral and a little bit sarcastic. Um, but I do <laughs> I do encourage all my listeners to go ahead and go to um hipandthigh.wordpress.com. Um you're also on Twitter at Fred underscore butler, which is excellent. It's amazing that you're able to secure that. Um I had a friend get that for me like years ago when Twitter first started. And he goes, You know, I got you a Twitter account. What? So I got the email, pass. I got the passwords and stuff from him and kind of went from there. I didn't even know what I was doing. That's incredible. So I know I was. I mean, I'm, I'm blown away like too. A, like six million Fred Butlers out there. There probably is, but I'm the only one that has like a Star Wars figure for an avatar. 
<laughs> yeah. everybody, everybody's like, oh, you're anonymous. I'm not listening to anonymous people. My name is the Twitter handle. What are you yes. talking about, anonymous? <laughs> or the Fred man. Um, yeah, I know. Yeah, it's a trap. Uh, Fred is also the author of Royal Deceptions, Exposing the King James-Only Conspiracies Against God's Word which we will discuss in a moment. Fred, is there anything else that you'd like to talk about? As uh, I'm trying to think. You know, my job is I always like to mention my volunteers. I, I get to oversee these wonderful, you know, senior saints that I have uh, ministered to now for, no oh man, going on 20 years at least. And uh, they're just dear folks uh, coming in and helping the ministry. They love John. There are a lot of them are members of Grace Church. They're retired, and they didn't want to just sort of sit around and watch daytime game shows and go to golfing all the time. But they actually wanted to do something profitable for the ministry. And so they come in and pack all of our books and our CDs and all of our mail that we send out to our big donor list that requests resource, resources. And uh, it's like having, I always say, it's like having a, you know, a 50 grandparents who <laughs> watch after us and our kids and uh they are a joy and a delight so uh it is a blessing you never retire from the christian life and from ministry and they are still running the race i know it is and it's great they were there was a bunch of them out praying in the warehouse the last time we met and uh, which they shouldn't be in the warehouse but i was appreciative that they were out there praying for somebody that was going through some kind of trial or something. I didn't catch the whole thing. I plan to catch up with them later this week, but I was, it's good. It's heartwarming to see that kind of stuff, to be a part of that and have that yeah, in and your life. And you, you are a shepherd of them, aren't you? Don't you do yeah. and Bible teaching? I try to do devotionals. And again, that's actually sort of gone uh, a little bit on the wayside too, just because I, uh, when we had COVID, everything kind of changed and, you know, the way we've set up our um, the way we sort of reorganized the way we mailed our material, I just have hadn't had the time to do it like I'd like. Um, the last time I preached to them, we were going through the book of Leviticus. <laughs> so wow. they which they seemed to like because it was talking about the holiness codes and mm. talking about the sacrifices and all that stuff. And I enjoyed studying it. And, and uh, then just things, uh, just things that kind of got busy and we haven't had time to kind of pause to do that like we'd like, but yeah, I, I try to do that. Pray for them, take prayer requests, hmm. visit with them in the um, hospitals when I can, if they let me go in there, usually they are just now starting to kind of open that up to where you can go in there and visit people. Yeah. Yes. Um, my next question is a very important one. Um, it really will determine whether you will ever get on this podcast again. This <laughs> may be a one and done. I'm not sure. Um, are you a Theobro, Fred? No, I'm more like a nuance, bro. <laughs> you, oh, I'm, okay. I like the nuance and, you know. You love, no, you're no, very I winsome. Am, uh, I can just see <laughs> your eyes. Yes. I try to be, I try to be winsome. No, I would very much be a Theo bro. Yes. Like that, like that one guy that's the professor that's always on Twitter blasting evangelicals in sort of his um, apostate way. Oh, was it something Cooley or something like that? Oh, I can't remember. Yes. He's like, a, yes. he's, a, he's a woke guy. Yeah, he he hates Theo Bros. Well, I'm one of those Theo Bros, man, I tell you. Yeah, sorry. We we just love sound theology. We're always reforming. Church is essential. Christ is king, Fred. Yeah, I know. We we love the word of God. 
we actually believe that God said these things and he meant it. It wasn't like suggestions or some kind of weird spiritual thing. I mean, it was God said this and I believe it and <laughs> I'm not going to yeah. yield on that, you know? Okay, Fred, let's get to your book. You wrote right. Royal Deceptions. This was, I believe it came out in 2021. Well, yes, around the end of 2020, first part of 2021, I think, is when it really picked up. Okay. Because Justin Peters interviewed me on his his thing, and it it just took off like a rocket because he's got like a million people following him or something. Ton of downloads, huh? Uh, yeah, now I'm going to be here. Now I'm with Theo, bro. This is going to happen again. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so. Well, don't count on that. But um, why did you write Royal Deceptions, Fred? Okay, so – a few years ago, my manager, the guy, he sort of oversees my department, came to me and he said, hey, I have this lady who has been writing grace to you. And I, he he kind of um, he, he helps minister with people who want to uh, deal with, you know, banking stuff because he used to be banking or something. Somehow he got talking with this lady and interacting with her. And she had someone had sent her a, 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 Jack, a Jack Chick book on King James onlyism, defending King James onlyism is the right way to look at the Bible. And um, he asked me, Hey, do you have any materials on this? And I was like, well, my stuff I wrote on the internet, I've got that. But I mean, she was an older lady. It's like, I don't know if she'd know how to go to the internet necessarily and find it. I mean, and I think I printed out some articles and put them in a PDF and we were able to mail them to her. But I began to think about, Oh, I wonder if I should, like put this into some kind of little ebook or something that I could print out and give to people if they need it and they have questions. And Gabe Hughes was the one um, who recently got kicked off Twitter, by the way. He, um, he, he yes. Rest yes. in peace. Yes. yes. <laughs> and Hopefully he said, Gabe Hughes. what's we, that? Buddy, we miss you. Hopefully he hears us. Gabe. We oh, I'm sure he would. He's a, he's a good Theo bro too. Yes. Um, but he was saying, oh, you could go to Amazon and Amazon will, print them as they go and as people buy them and you know by all means go there and check it out but I had to create a manuscript so I began just sort of editing the articles I had written kind of putting them in a format reading through it re-editing it and uh, letting people kind of look at it and kind of getting their thoughts about it and um, eventually I had some friends um, oh Jim Osmond in Idaho uh, helped me kind of format the actual interior of the book and create a, a, a Kindle version I put on um, Amazon. And then his friend, uh, Josh, Josh Comstock, created the cover for me, and uh, it's, it's, which I think is wonderful with King James and his little tinfoil hat. <laughs> so, so now I have a book. I've been a actually able to give it and send it to people um that have actually had questions i've had to have uh, people have contacted grace to you wondering to know if has john ever spoke on this topic and and uh, they'd always send them to me i'm like well no he hasn't but i have a book if you're interested it's kind of short and it's easy to read hopefully it's going to encourage and bless people as they get it and think through the issues of how we got our bible and which bible translation is the best and so forth so mm -hmm. I didn't grow up in King James onlyism, and I've only known a handful of people who are onlyists. Um, Stephen Anderson being one, um, yes, the guy who stands on <laughs> pulpits and talks yes. about peeing on walls and oh yes, he hates when you <laughs> gets pee. gets tasered at the border. 
Yeah, wild. Yeah. Absolutely Runs wild. barefoot. Yeah, so w- when I think of King James onlyism, that's where my mind goes. It's this, mm-hmm. this crazy, crazy pastor. Um, how do people get swept up into King James onlyism? I think probably everyone's going to be different. I'll tell you how I did it. Because when I became a brand new, born again, Bible believing Christian, I, I, it's like no one needed to tell me that, you know, the Bible is inspired and inerrant and, um, you know, and you need to obey it. You know, I, I, I didn't really have anyone tell me. I just it was sort of like it was instinctive because I was born again. I mean, I love God's word. I want to start reading it. And I began looking at, um, I had a Ryrie, I think my mother gave me a Ryrie study Bible for Christmas. And that was my first real study Bible I had. Well, if you read Ryrie's footnotes to some of his passages in the Bible that he would talk about, or in the, in the various passages, sometimes he would say, hey, this is a copious error. And, you know, really what happened here is that co- this, uh, this number got mistranslated or miscopied, and it really should be this and whatever, whatever, because it would conflict with another passage in a, you know, a similar sounding historical account, like in Samuel or Kings or something, you know, and I, that just bothered me when I saw that. And a lot of it bothered me because I didn't really understand the nature of the transmission of the text and, you know, what's important and all that sort of thing. And um, as I was considering all of this, I had a friend give me a King James only book written by some pastor, Baptist pastor in Oklahoma, who uh, basically tried to find solutions to those problem passages without, you know, appealing to the concept of copious errors. And I really liked what he had to say. I thought it was really well done. And so I would, that just sort of was a a gateway drug, as you were, (laughs) to full-fledged King James onlyism, because the next thing I was doing, I'm listening to, uh, well, really reading uh, Peter Ruckman, who was a crazy lunatic like Steven Anderson in Florida and um, David Cloud and um, oh I can't think of his name right I've wait is another guy um, uh, and then of course the queen of all King James onlyism Gail Ripplinger and so all of these people began to feed my thinking about the Bible and you know honestly my desire wasn't so much to get embroiled in you know, debates about Bible translations so much as it was, I wanted to be faithful to the text. If God has told me he's going to preserve his word and that he's, that it's his word, well, then obviously it's going to be preserved for me. And for people to come along with modern versions and to change things and, you know, to like leave out what my, at the time I thought was, um, they were leaving out portions of the Bible um, you know, in sections like in John 8 and Mark, the last, you know, 12 verses of Mark and so forth. Well, I just, I was just offended by that. So uh, that's how I began getting into King James onlyism because they seem to be committed to the text and to what the Bible says. And, you know, not one of these modern perversions that's going to alter the, you know, the manuscripts and take away the blood of Christ from passages and that sort of stuff. So that's how I got into it. When I've talked with people in the past and different times, it's, they have a similar story. Um, a lot of people have just been raised in that all their life, whereas you'd be opposite of what your experience was. Um, for me, it was like a, it was an issue of I want to be faithful to the Word of God, and I saw the King James as being that rock-solid, faithful 
translation that did not that that represented what God said, and uh, that did not depart from that, and all the other versions did. That was my thinking about that. The KJV is a, a beautiful translation. Yes, with beautiful English. Yes. Um, and so, what you wouldn't say is the King James version is bad. You wouldn't say it's evil. What would you say? It's the pinnacle of English language in the scriptures. Hmm. Um, and really because it is the work of William Tyndale. Uh, William Tyndale's English translation, which I think he is the, the, the crown jewel of the Reformation because it was his willingness to begin to translate the Bible into the modern language that ignited the fire for Luther to do the thing for the German German people put it in the German language and Tyndale was um, and he he was he was the one who invented a lot of new words to capture the meaning of the text like atonement and Passover and I mean those words are still with us today several key um, phrases and that sort of thing he made that up he invented it and he it's a legacy the King James represents his legacy now, does that mean that it's not without its faults or its places where it's problematic? And does it absolutely reflect the word of God as it should be in English and we should never depart from that? Well, no, I would never say that. But, I mean, I have a King James. Um, I even have one of the original, uh, it's a facsimile, but one of the original 1611 editions that Walmart was sell selling and. 2011 for the 400th anniversary of the King wow. James and for like five bucks you could get it and it's in cheapy paper and it's like reading a newspaper book but you know um but yeah it's it's I think it's something that we that I would even exhort Christians to just read through it get like a obviously one that's more of an updated 17 was it 1789 or 1769 edition that's uh, sort of like the last of the um editions of the King James as it kind of went through a process of updating and modernizing words and spelling and stuff. But I mean, it reads great. I mean, think about, you know, the whole, the whole verse where, you know, Elijah's uh, is in, uh, is at Mount Sinai after he's fled from uh, the, oh, from Jezebel and, you know, and the Lord is like, what doeth thou here, Elijah? I mean, I just love the way that the whole thing we were talking about, Stephen Anderson, that whole phrase that, you know, he pisses on the wall. <laughs> so, I mean, it's got some great phraseology and the way that it expresses God's word. And, you know, and I don't never want to take away from that. At the same time, I don't want to bind people's consciences to what the scriptures actually teach in the history of God's word and how it has been brought down to us in uh, throughout history which king james only has revised a lot of that history to be honest with you how would i'm curious how do you think william tyndale would feel about our modern translations i would think i would hope that he would think that you know in in, in at least when we can get from his letters and what he wrote to us and left in his correspondence i mean his desire was to have the word of god in the most simplest of English, so that, or any language, modern language, uh, so that people could read it. I mean, his goal was to let, is to like make the word of God unhindered 
so that a man, so that the plowboy, as he would say, could pick it up and read it. So as long as you're educated and literate, you should be able to read the Bible. That was his goal. And I would think that if that was his goal, if the Elizabethan English that is in the in a 17th century Bible no longer conveys what it was supposed to convey to a modern language or to a modern, you know, company of people that he would say, well, by all means, you know, use a modern version because the idea is to get the word of God in your hands and to read it, not to venerate a particular translation and claim that this is the word of God and it alone is the reflects, you know, God's mind when I believe it reflects God's mind, but it's not the only translation that person has to be devoted to. Amen. What are the main arguments for King James onlyism, and and how would you how do you address them in your book? I, I identified at least six of the main arguments. King James is the exclusive word of God. So if you are changing the King James in their mind you're changing the word of God. So if you correct it, or if you do any kind of updating the language or smoothing out a passage or anything like that, well, then you're correcting the word of God. And to them, that's a no-no. That's what I was sort of taught. And I would even say that there's probably, I mean, different uh, King James onlyists are going to probably hold to these one degree or another, and some more strictly than others. There might be people that are like, oh, I don't care so much about the English as I am the base text from which it's translated or whatever, but they all argue kind of along the same line. That's why I picked these arguments. They will even argue they promise argument, which is sort of the idea that God has promised that he would preserve his words. It's not just the word of God that's preserved, but it's the words in the text and they'll zero in on the kind of on the plural words and, and like say in Psalm um, I think it's in Psalm 12 where it talks about the word of God is purified seven times and uh, it's like silver and all that sort of thing. And they'll say, well, see, there's God's promising that he's going to preserve his word. Well, he is promising to preserve his word. But if you read that carefully, it's talking about his promise to keep his people from falling into the hands of their enemies and to be overcome by them. That's what he's promising. Not that there's going to be an altered text from which the English is going to be translated from. And then they have a very, my, probably my longest section in this uh, book is the textual argument where I, I lay out sort of their understanding of how the King James came to us. Um, they believe, um, you know, without getting into a whole lot of convoluted, you know, textual theory and history and everything, um, they believe that the King James originated with these group of manuscripts that was sort of circulated around Antioch in Turkey and that area. And eventually that became Byzantium and, it's, and it became known as a Byzantine text. And there were a whole lot of those, um, whereas the modern versions incorporate what are called the Alexandrian texts, which um, circulated around Alexandria, Egypt. Well, there was a reason why they did that in those days is because all the Christians were in North Africa at the time. And then Byzantium became sort of the hub for all of the Bible manuscripts because the Muslims came through and wiped everybody out. And so they didn't have the opportunity to continue their, you know, to keep the Alexandrian text going. 
um, over in, uh, you know, in Byzantium, you know, the Byzantine Empire was able to protect themselves against the Muslim hordes until, uh, I don't know, I think it was like the 1400s or something. And then, you know, until they came in and swept over that place. Um, but the reality is, is that their history that they build for the King James and the reason why we should use it um, really is just sort of built on historical revisionism. Because they'll say that those, well, the reason why you don't have a whole lot of those Alexandrian texts is because, you know, the Christians recognized that they were corrupted by heretics. And those heretics, you know, entered in all kinds of heresies in their Bibles. And, and so they didn't want to use those manuscripts because they knew that they were corrupted. And so they would lay them aside. And, and the reason why you find them you know, the way you do is because Christians ignored them and didn't want to have anything to do that with them. Well, that's not true. <laughs> there's another, there's other explanations for why there were, there were less of these. And the reason why they go back to the few hundred years after the time of the apostles. I mean, it's, it's just not, you know, the, the history that they've kind of created is really conspiratorial because they've got this whole notion of, you know, there's heretics and introducing heresy. Well, okay, heretics introduce heresy, but generally the Christians were always recognizing the heresy, hence they would take them to councils, and they would have these ecumenical councils that would condemn the heretic, and rarely would they ever, you know, uh, you know, heretic was able to sneak in clandestine, you know, in some kind of nefarious way, underhandedly sneak in some kind of doctrine that made it through the Bible so that, you know, it corrupted Christians, um, that, that never happens. Usually the heretic would believe the Bible the way he had it, and then he would twist the meaning of the words or twist its interpretation to create his bizarro alt or whatever he was trying to do. So, yeah, it's just, it, that's their, you know, their, to me, that's the main, you know, seed of their whole ideas is how did we get the Bible uh, transmitted to us and they've introduced all these you know conspiracies about heretics and corrupted text and you know uh, new age stuff and all these things that are coming together it's like but we just don't see that played out in history when you actually look at what history does record um, but they'll also claim that the King James uh, translators are the greatest scholars in the world the world's ever known so, um, you know, not, none of the other Bibles that came after them were ever, you know, the translators were never as, as top-notch in quality as the King James translators. Um, and then they'll claim certain things like, you know, when the Puritans came over to the United States or to the colonies at the time, um, they brought the King James with them. And the King James was this foundation for America and all of our laws and all of that sort of thing. But that's not true either. The main Bible and everybody's use at the time was Geneva. the Geneva Bible. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> because the King James was, you know, authorized by King James and mm -hmm. everybody hated him. It would be like the Joe Biden Bible. Nobody <laughs> wants a Joe Biden Bible, even though he had nothing to do with the Bible. <laughs> the fact that he authorized the Joe Biden Bible. <laughs> None of us could afford that Bible anyway. So. But yeah, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> we couldn't afford it. Yeah, no, it'd be like uh, some kind of ridiculous price for it, I'm sure. Um, but yeah, that's, you know, that's how they're, they, that's the reason why they didn't want the King James. So this, I, all of these historical ideas that they've brought 
uh, kind of poured into the understanding of how we got our Bible, it's just silly. It's just, and it's, and I think it gives men and um, women when they get their Bibles, when they start to read this stuff, the King James literature, it's just giving them bad information. Um, it's giving you that disinformation. And so now they're going to be like, okay, well, I, I don't understand why it's saying this over here and it's saying this over here. And so instead of dealing with, you know, how the Bible and English has actually come to us and why things are translated the way they do and, and giving a little time to understanding textual criticism rightly, um, just it's going to sow confusion with people because they've got their facts about their Bible all wrong to begin with. How would a King James onlyist reach an unreached people group and give an unreached people group a Bible? Okay, would so they, that's that's an they, excellent question because many of them will claim, and you were a missionary at one time, yeah. an unreached people group. Would you go to that people group and say, well, you know what I'm going to do is teach you all how to read English so that you could read your King James? Well, it wouldn't just be English, <laughs> right? It would be King James English. It would yes. be these and thous. And, and yes, you have to sort of teach them how to read. You got to teach them to read to begin with. And, and language and culture are so closely tied together that you'd actually not only be giving them a new language, you'd be giving them a brand new culture, too, that would be English driven. Yes. Right. And, there, and then, but that's, you read people like Sam Gipp and many of these hardcore King James only us, it is, it is almost, it's farcical that they would suggest that people who don't have English as their first language should learn how to speak English so that they can trans, you know, read the King James. But, you know, if they can't work with that, maybe you can translate the King James into their language. I actually had a guy that I knew from college who was a King James onlyist who went to Albania after Albania sort of fell and became uncommunist. I mean, it used to be as hardcore atheist as North Korea. Hmm. And then it opened up and he went over there and began to be a missionary there. And he was trying to translate the King James into Albanian. So these people would have like an Albanian translation of the King James, which is a translation of, you know, the Hebrew and the Greek. Can you imagine that? That's just bizarre. Makes me want to pull my hair out. <laughs> well, I know. Whatever little hell of hair left of mine, I guess I could shave off the rest of my head. That's like, what the hell? What is Doesn't that? Doesn't that just create another barrier to the gospel? I know it does. And it, it's it, like, what are you guys doing? This is, this yeah. is foolishness. It is completely an American driven yes. philosophy. And I, I mean, I'm sure there's King James only is over in England too. But it's primarily an English thing. You know what I'm saying? Let's talk about conspiracies a bit. Okay, You mentioned in our DMs back and forth, uh, prepping for the show, that you've actually been thinking quite a bit about the topic of conspiracies the last few years. Not that you've been conspiratorial, but just the idea of conspiracies. You know, you Not a, I am now. Totally into the Yetis, you know, aliens, all that. No, but right now, as you know, the mainstream media is calling anything that goes against the culturally, the, the current socially accepted narrative, they're calling that a conspiracy theory. Um, the idea that right. COVID-19 came right. out of a lab was a conspiracy theory until mm -hmm. it was proven true. 
The Great Reset was a conspiracy theory until it was discovered that Klaus Schwab of the World Economic Forum had written a book about it. And now just yesterday, maybe you saw this, a Biden administration spokesperson just talked about the necessity of high gas prices <laughs> to bring about this, quote unquote, new liberal world order. Um, any truth that is inconvenient or potentially inconvenient um, to the progressive political agenda is called a right-wing conspiracy theory. It is from QAnon, okay? So according to dictionary.com, a conspiracy theory is a theory that rejects the standard explanation of an event and instead credits a covert group or organization for carrying out a secret plot. And so my question to you, Fred, is how should Christians think through important world events? Is it okay to question the standard explanation given to us <laughs> by the media? Um, when, when are we becoming conspiratorial in our thought processes? What's the difference between being discerning in a godly way and being conspiratorial in a sinful way? Oh, okay, so you're going to work me up in a heart attack to talk about this. <laughs> so, yeah. so years... <laughs> no, we don't want that right here live on air. Yeah. I used to be a long time ago. Um, I, I despised conspiracy theories just because the whole idea of them really just kind of stirs up this inordinate fear in people, uh, especially Christians. And Christians shouldn't be fixated on uncertainties and, uh, and the unknown and this whole idea of it promoting these gospel, these agnostic tendencies where it's like the uh, the um, the so-called people in the know who know truth and all this sort of thing are the ones who are um, you know gonna be able to figure everything out and if you just you know connect their dots well then you'll know the truth and I I wrote a series of articles I think there was like maybe three of them a number of years ago um, back in 2013 2014 just talking about how Christians should think about conspiracy theories. And, and, you know, at the time I'm talking about it as something like this is, you know, this is foolish nonsense to think that the United States government would do something where they could uh, demolition the world trade center and, and they use holographic, you know, Star Trek level hologram holographic planes to you know, look like they flew into these buildings and they blew them, you know, that kind of nonsense. I just, it, this is crazy. Or the idea that the, that the um, government is hiding the fact that we never went to the moon or something like that. And, and, and I've no, and I know Christians that are all into, well, we never went to the moon. Okay. Well, you know, there's junk up there. We could take pictures of that. And <laughs> it's, you know, to me, I just see that as foolish, but then 2020 happened. <laughs> <laughs> you nothing yet. Yeah. And I'm just like, okay. And so you, you mentioned the whole lab thing, right? I was like, uh, when I first heard that, it was from Tom Cotton, who's a senator from Arkansas, who was like, if you followed his story on this, he was aware of this problem this lab leak um covid thing like back in december november of 2019 mm -hmm. and even put together an action paper of some sort and had like a little low-level meeting that nobody attended and then when then in the january when they started getting rumblings of this coming from china and over in february in 2020 
is coming from China, you know, the, the, all the, he said, well, yeah, this is, this is a lab leak. And what happened is they were creating these um, gain of function viruses, you know, for the purposes of research. And really, I think probably to like uh, do the gain, uh, get the market on vaccines and all this other stuff in China. Um, you know, and it more than likely got loose in some kind of incompetent lab leak or something there, you know, it could very well have been intentionally released. I mean, it had profound impact on our economies around the world because China is on the verge of, you know, insolvency themselves. And then they were invading um, Hong Kong. The media and the government is really trying their best to make this go away. Like, I, they, I couldn't believe it. I was like, why? That's completely plausible that it could have been a lab leak. Why is they? Why are they calling that a conspiracy theory? And and it's like several. It's, it's, now it's with the vaccine. Like the vaccine is not necessarily the best thing that you could take. That it's not doesn't have the efficacy that they claim that it did. And and it could very well be, <clears throat> for me, that there's um some health risks that you could get by taking this vaccine that they're not talking about. Why? <laughs> so, yeah, so it's just, uh, it, it's, it's all of this sort of stuff has kind of come together in the last two years. <laughs> and it has totally re made me think about, you know, conspiracy theories and how, you know, how are we going to deal with the, how should we think about this as Christians and how should we deal with this? And, um, you know, it, it, it is, it's, it's kind of, it's sort of difficult to kind of figure out, so, well, Christian, what should we do about this? And I went back to my original articles that I wrote, and I still think that those points are still valid. Hmm. We can't, we are Christians. Um, and I, and I kind of, at being here in Los Angeles, and you guys are familiar with our church and the fact that, um, you know, our pastor, God love him, um, who is also a guy who hates conspiracy theories until 2020, <laughs> uh, was the one who took on LA County Health and won that case against us. Um, because, you know, he's like, look, we're not seeing the level of panic or the level of severity with this virus as you all are making it out to be. And we're not going to do this anymore. We can't keep people from meeting together. We want to worship God. We want to minister to those in need. And this idea that you can't, that you're going to keep us away from each other, it just, we're just not going to do it anymore. And when we as Christians began to kind of step back and look at this stuff. I, I, I'm not afraid of that. And I think as believers, we shouldn't be fearful of, you know, is, are there, you know, the government forces trying to do stupid things? Yeah, there are. And but that's something that you're going to have to pray about and you can't fixate on these things like, oh my gosh, what's going to happen? There's nothing I can do. And, you know, what will God do? Well, well God's completely in control. We need to remember that. We cannot deny his sovereignty. He's put these things into place for his purposes. And we shouldn't be filling our minds with irrational scenarios that just can't be, you know, that somehow they're unmanageable and you can't, you know, what's going to happen and God's no longer in control or something. We know that that's not true. We shouldn't think in those ways. Yeah. At the same time, we shouldn't allow ourselves to be, completely bamboozled <laughs> naive <laughs> the, naive and stupid yes. <laughs> and, um, 
yeah that sort of thing uh you know it's like and i think as a christian you need to like that this is where you do exercise your discernment and you've got to be in the word and with a sound biblical group of friends that help you think through these things and not panic and you know cause you to run around in circles or whatever and um and think about it from the way god says and you look at second timothy um in one seven for god has not given us the spirit of fear but of power and of love and of a sound mind Mm -hmm. the sound mind part is what's vital because the sound mind means someone who's thinking correctly about these things uh you know i i used to have some guy that would come to grace years and years ago and he would talk about how al Mohler was a a un um a un jesuit plant and he's infiltrating the church <laughs> and i remember asking him like, okay well what's the purpose of this un you know jesuit plant you know that al Mohler is supposed to be as well it's going to usher in the antichrist and and i just told him i said well don't we want that to happen because the antichrist is coming that means christ is coming back soon right <laughs> we'll be out of here we'll be out of here <laughs> so, so what well that's the problem uh, well it doesn't work that way <laughs> i just remember you know, being all flustered by that question i'm like I, I'm all happy for the Antichrist to make his appearance because that means the world's coming to an end and this age will be back. I mean, why, what is your problem, Christians? What's this? Mm. So when I hear, you know, Charles Schwab and these guys talk Charles, about the grave. Charles Schwab, the financial what's, advisor. What, what's his name? Is that what Klaus. <laughs> Klaus Schwab, that's right. Klaus Schwab. Yeah. Um, when I hear him talk about the Great Reset or the liberal New World Order, I mean it's aggravating and irritating because they're gonna they're messing up people's lives. Yes, and uh, that sort of thing. But at the same time, it's like you know, the Lord is rushing us towards a rendezvous with, you know, the coming of Christ Amen. and divine judgment, and it's coming upon us much swiftly than we can imagine. Uh, and we shouldn't just we shouldn't allow that to f- cause us to be fearful but at the same time um, we should see that as an opportunity okay so what are we going to do to advance the kingdom of god in light of the fact that jeff jeffrey epstein didn't kill himself you know <laughs> what what do we do what do we do <laughs> and uh you know are there i i even talked i was even i was listening to this podcast i was tweeting about this earlier this week about the whole jeffrey epstein thing it's like Think about it. Are there billionaire people that could get away with doing unimaginable, terrible trafficking things with women? Yeah, there could be. Yeah. Would there be people interested in shutting him up? And yeah. And would they have the power to do that? Yes. Does that's, Job talks about these kind of individuals and how they'll get away with it. But God's going to judge. At some point, that'll come to an end. And God will be, you know, the, 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 the those who are victims will be vindicated right. and those who are wicked perpetrators will be destroyed, you know, and that's what we need to be hoping on. Not, you know, wringing our hands like, Oh my gosh, what's going to happen? I don't know what to do. Well, you need to trust the Lord and be ready to, um, you know, serve him as best as you can to much of your ability. I mean, I think that's how you need to kind of think about conspiracy theories. Yes. 
our job as Christians isn't to obsess over this theory or that newfangled idea. Our job is to know what God has said, be very right. confident in it, um, in and whatever disagrees with the Bible's message, okay, that we throw out, that we get rid of. I know climate change isn't a thing. I know, I know that will not destroy the world because the Bible makes very clear how the world will be destroyed. Um, the Bible tells me that. I know um, the vaccine wasn't the mark of the beast um, because I know that will, that will take place within the tribulation, and we're not in the great tribulation. And then the mark of the beast seems to be something extremely different than just – Yes. random stuff injected into your body. You know what yes. I mean? We have a, a book, a body of truth that we are responsible to know and to obsess over, not YouTube videos that take us down these deep, 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 deep rabbit holes and suck up all of our time. Um, right. And Though friend, those can be extremely entertaining to watch, I will yes. say. Yes. <laughs> but yes. You're exactly right. Don't, <laughs> you shouldn't let that be something that consumes you. Yeah, if Jeff if Jeffrey Epstein didn't kill himself, that doesn't affect my mission as a pastor right. and as a preacher or as a right. disciple maker. It doesn't affect it at all. If if Klaus Schwab is is developing this new world order that it's going to create this communist order of all these nations together, it's it's it will not stand up to God and His purposes. Um, God is sovereign, not Klaus Schwab. And so you're right. Yes. I, I refuse. Uh, there, I, I know. It's just you think about all of the world kingdoms that have come and gone. Mm-hmm. I mean, Egypt was a massive superpower. It ruled the entire northern African continent into Asia and several places throughout the Mediterranean world. And then, you know, the exodus happened and it lost its power. Uh, it's the same with the Roman Empire, the Babylonians. I mean, they came sweeping through and just would wipe everybody out, sell them into slavery. But then they were gone in 70 years. I mean, it's the same with old Klaus or any of these people who want to set up a kingdom. God's going to come, and it'll be in his timing for his purposes. It should focus us as believers to think rightly about truth. And and that's how we should look at that, not be you know, paralyzed with fear that, oh, there's nothing that's going to happen. There's nothing I can do. Yeah, there's lots you could do. You know, go out and love people and serve the Lord. <laughs> that's yes. what you need to do. And I would say even this, let the dead bury their own dead. Um, let the dead worry about um, conspiracy theories and let them worry about figuring out right. those little minute details. Let them deal with that. That's not who we are. First Timothy 1 um as I urged you on my departure to Macedonia, you should stay on Ephesus to instruct certain men not to teach false doctrines or devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies, which just promote speculation rather than the stewardship of God's work, which is by faith. The goal of our instruction is the love that comes from a pure heart, a clear conscience, and a sincere faith. We obsess over the bible we obsess over the glory of christ Mm -hmm. he is infinitely wonderful infinitely glorious that will take up all of our (laughs) all of our time as we as we think on him Um, we won't have time to speculate on myths and unsolvable mysteries and conspiracies i agree man well, this is a question, Fred, that I ask all of my guests at the end. Oh, um, it's, it's a very broad question. Broadly speaking, 
what encourages you and what concerns you about the current state of quote unquote evangelicalism. I was kind of thinking about it is discouraging to see there being divisiveness over the social justice stuff and the wokeness stuff. I think, I mean, that's again, it comes back to 2020. It had, it's amazing how that was such a purifying year mm. because it did reveal individuals. You kind of thought, Hey, I thought that guy was really solid or I thought that woman was really solid. And now they're not, they're not trustworthy. They kind of fall away. They don't have a, you know, it's, it's really weird. I mean, but I'm grateful for those things. It's sad. And I wish, you know, hopefully God will, will do things with that. But that does concern me and that people get sucked into that and it wastes so much of their time and um, it causes such division within the body. But then on the other hand, we had a wonderful conference at Answers in Genesis at the Ark Encounter. Um, Grace to You did a Truth Matters conference. Um, I think all of those messages and videos are being edited and the long form one is available on on um youtube but you have to kind of fast forward through it but i think they're pulling them all out and they're going to clean them up and everything so that's forthcoming but what i was so profoundly encouraged by was all of those people coming together you know for the fellowship and the rich time together and to hear good preaching I mean, it was such a blessing. Many people whose lives have been profoundly impacted by John. Um, on the Tuesday night before our conference, um, Don Green, um, who used to be our managing daily director guy at Grace to You for many years, um, he now pastors in Cincinnati. Um, he's another great preacher you should get to know and listen to. Um, his, he put together a book on just his insider take uh, on you know, being with ministry with John MacArthur. And we had, he had rented out the, this Coliseum, this basketball arena at this Kentucky university somewhere. And to see four or 5,000 people coming because their lives have been impacted by a guy on the radio, but just them coming by our little booth where we were standing, talking to us, you know, I was a drunk or I was a drug dealer or I was this, you know, divorced mom with a single, you know, single mom with a kid, my husband left me and, you know, all of these stories that they would talk, tell that. And then I heard the word of God preached on the radio by this guy <laughs> and how it changed my life. I mean, it was such an encouragement. So I see that sort of thing too. So, I mean, if, many times I think we get our separated in our little groups and our little enclaves, maybe by ourselves. And we're thinking, Oh, we're all alone. We're like, like, no one no there is there's a lot of folks out there they're like-minded they care for each other and, and they're there and you know and um, just know that god's people are not forgotten that he has his remnant and uh, they're there and they um love the lord and you, they, it's someone that you can certainly find to have fellowship with because they're there you know amen <clears throat> well um give me five twitter accounts everyone <laughs> should follow Oh, man. Okay, so my Twitter accounts that I was, I was trying to think about that. And um, I follow, I follow all of my little friends like you and all oh, Rob Stiles and Jim Rennard and these guys like that. And they're usually we're all around the sign of the same age or the same, you know, 
Midwestern values, whatever. And so we tease each other on Twitter. Um, I was trying to think outside the box. I mean, because I, I have a lot of unbelievers that I follow for, um, on Twitter that I will benefit from, not Christians, but I benefit from. If you like wonky uh, media stuff like I do, um, Stephen Miller, who I think his handle is Red Steez or something like that, um, he has some of the greatest takedowns and exposures of just the hypocrisy in modern media and um, journalism that you can find and he is one of the greatest trolls i've ever seen of like <laughs> nbc wonks and i mean he, he's brilliant i mean he's great so insights yeah. he, he, uh christopher raffo who has been um chasing after just the woke mm-hmm. stuff that's happening in um corporations and in various places where they're basically wanting to introduce all these Maoist style, you know, struggle sessions where they put some guy in the middle of the room. Tell us why you're a racist. How long have you been a racist or whatever? How long have you hated gay people? And he, and he talks about that stuff and definitely um, does a great job of exposing it. And and a lot of times it gets, you know, that gets exposed and the people are like, well, we can't do this anymore. This is crazy. Um, Megan Basham, who writes for the Daily Wire. She's a believer, by the way. She's solid, great um, finger on the pulse. of. She's one of those Twitter follows that, that like, I saw her kind of gain a following and I was, I still had more followers than her. And, I'm, mm-hmm. and so I kind of retweeted her a few times and then Next thing I know, I look at her Twitter followers, and she just explodes over time. Yeah, she's just she's brilliant, and she's a sweetheart. Yeah. And and if you're serious and you engage, she'll um, engage you back and talk to you. And she's, um, I know she loves our ministry and um, loves Phil. She Phil's had some talks with her. Um, mm-hmm. Molly Hemingway is another one. She works for the Federalist. Writes a lot of great stuff. She has one of the great books on the how the election was rigged in 2020 and um, Mm -hmm. the Brett Kavanaugh um, fiasco whenever they were. Um, Another one that's more obscure is Peachy Keenan, who is somebody that I I think it's here local in Los Angeles. Um, They're a a Hollywood screenwriter, but she, um, her, her takes on just life in California and, you know, MAGA stuff is just hysterical. And I love reading her things. And then Ether Bryan. Ether Bryan is just a guy who does art and has these weird little off, strange little tweets that I just find hysterical and humorous in his, you know, he connects to Americana art, art deco kind of stuff. It's, you'd have to go find him. He's got the little skull with the fez. Had on top of it he's brilliant um he's a writer super 70 sports is another guy it's good because he talks about stuff that i grew up with he curses (laughs) though so watch him okay but at any rate those are some of the people i was kind of thinking through like who would i who would i share that yeah those are solid those are solid you didn't go only theo bros you went i know theo bro i know (laughs) i like that i really like i don't like any nuance bros so avoid all the nuance bros. yes thank you i appreciate that um we're talking to you tim keller Uh, yes (laughs) any other projects we need to be made aware of fred um okay so i am currently um going through all of my old articles i wrote on apologetics years ago 
I get aggravated by just the popular apologetics that I see out there where people, um, it's like they don't want to defend the Bible. They're ashamed to defend the Bible. Yes. And are always finding excuses to say, well, it really wasn't six literal days. Why? Why? Well, you know, because we know all of these other things over here and it conflicts with it. And it's like, okay, so <laughs> it's like uh, they don't want to talk to people about their sin. You, know, you talk to someone who's gay, they'll, they'll, um, you know, they'll try to find reasons that are outside of scripture as to why you need to oppose gay marriage. You know, just things like that. And I, I'm, I'm just like, I, human I just, flourishing. <laughs> yes. That's it's the just, reason why. That's what it's I just hear crazy. I, and it's, it's like they'll defend the resurrection, but then they'll try to defend the resurrection apart from the Bible. Mm-hmm. You know, because some, you know, quasi liberal, you know, commentary guy says that we can kind of talk about the resurrection in this way. That's how we should defend it. Well, I, I defend the resurrection because the Bible says it. I don't care if no other sources talk about the resurrection. It's in the Bible. I mean, why is that a problem? So I'm kind of talking about those issues, and I, and what I've sort of done is um, I'm, go- I'm just going to go through all the – I've pulled them all off my website and editing them, kind of going through them. I'm doing a lot of rereading and exposure to new material, just to kind of think through these issues. I don't know when this manuscript would be ready. I've been working on it for like a year or more, and, and um, I've only got like maybe the cursory chapters written, but I'm just researching and – so look forward to that. We'll have, we'll have to come back and we'll talk about it or something. Awesome. Sounds like fun. Mm-hmm. We'll try to come up with a title for you. Um, I'd like it done by November, if you can. Um, I'll give you <laughs> yeah, a, a date right now. It's November 24th. That's my birthday. Is so that, I, that's my son's birthday. No oh, kidding. I like it. Mine's I the like 25th. It what? No way. Mine's the 25th. Yours is the November 25th? That is. It's you you know, we fall on like Thanksgiving and it's I know. Oh, I love it. I love I know it is. And then you usually it'd have to be Thanksgiving or the week or the few days before. Yes. Except yeah, except you, you don't get to bring in like cupcakes to class or whatever. No, there's nothing like that. Fred Butler, well, Royal Deceptions, Exposing the King James Only Conspiracies Against God's Word. Thank you for writing this book. Thank you for putting it on Amazon. Um, I pray that God will continue to bless it and rescue folks out of slavery to the King James Version. But again, we like the King James. I like the King James. Read the King like James. like it. We, we don't hate it. It's just you don't need to be enslaved to it. 